1: Welcome everybody to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson. I've got Kurt Mortensen here with me. We are refreshed recording another podcast for you with some awesome information in the worlds of persuasion, influence, negotiation, leadership. What don't we do? I think we do everything. At least you do, Kurt.
0: Hey, doesn't matter what you do as a parent, teacher, leader, manager, everyone persuades and influence for a living.
1: It's everywhere. Everywhere. Everything that you do in life today is impacted to to some degree by persuasion and influence. I've got a couple of good stories. I was in Las Vegas for the weekend. And wow, if Las Vegas isn't a place for somebody like me to get really interested, and I don't mean that the way you think. <laughs> Talking more about the marketing and what they're trying to do to people mentally there to get them to just unload their wallet wow, that place is really entertaining. And they just have to keep beating out the next guy. I've noticed they're building new casinos. When the one across the street builds a new tower, the other guy has to, too. They have to keep up bright lights, loud noises, (laughs) sex appeal.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a persuasion, Mecca. They know exactly when you walk in that door how much money they're going to win. The whole science of a casino, the layout, the lights, the carpet,
1: it's all a science to them. And it's verbal packaging, too, when we talk about verbal packaging and how people are are using persuasion techniques and such. I I thought it was funny. We we got pitched, and I'll talk about this later, on vacation ownership, which you know is code for what?
0: Oh, that would be a little timeshare presentation that's only going to take a few minutes, and then six hours later you're like, whoa, what just happened?
1: They break your will down to where you're just, take my <laughs> like, money.
0: If you use car dealership, they just, just wear at you and wear at you and wear like, take the money, just let me go. The doors are all locked. You can't get out. It's, yeah, it's an interesting form of influence.
1: Yeah, it's pretty bad. And then obviously uh, another verbal packaging, we have our uh, gentlemen's clubs, which are anything but gentlemanly in what happens <laughs> there. <laughs> They've just got all these words and ways to to describe things, so yeah Las Vegas was a it was a, a fun time. what would you do over the weekend? How are things?
0: Watch a little football got stuck in a storm. It was kind of a bittersweet weekend because I knew summer was coming to an end, but then the fall leaves it was cooling down, football was starting. so both are great seasons, so it's fun to see one season come in, but it's also hard to say goodbye to summer.
1: It's hard. I sent my wife a little cartoon the other day i got in a little bit of trouble for doing this but it has a picture of a guy leaning over to his wife and he says to her honey do you have anything to say before football season starts (laughs) i like it that's good yeah yeah you'll
0: get in trouble for that one that was minus 10 points for you on the persuasion scale
1: right well (laughs) we went to vegas during a bye week for my favorite team and towards the end of the the trip my wife goes hey Isn't it a bye week Does does the trip (laughs) scheduling have anything to do with that?
0: (laughs) Oh, you were caught. There's no way out of that one.
1: Well, I I sort of spun out of it with, well, I could only get the babysitter, so I I wiggled out of it a little bit, but I think I'm going to get the bill for that one for sure. Yeah, it's in the mail already. (laughs) Yeah, in the mail. (laughs) (laughs) Well, cool, cool. Just want to remind everybody, we're on iTunes, we're on BlackBerry, we're on the Windows Marketplace, and on Stitcher. Or you can just check us out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's where the blog is. You can play the shows uh, directly from there, download them from there as well. And we always want to hear your feedback at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Hate mail, love notes, whatever you got to send, we'll take a look at it and happy to put it on the air if it's something that we feel like is useful for the uh, other listeners to hear. Send it out. Send it out. So, Kurt, you came across an interesting article today about deception. Dun dun dun!
0: Yeah, I love talking about deception. And we teach a lot of this with the negotiation aspect of our trainings because deception's a big part of people trying to get the upper hand. It is dark. We don't like it, and I don't teach it to have you become better at deception. It's just something that's out there. But the new research that just came out is really interesting. The, Professor, was it Mercerby and Jenkins, if I get those names right, wanted to look at the digital media. I mean, we have social media, instant messaging, all these different things, and they want to see if they could detect deception because you can't look at their face, you can't look at their body language, you can't hear the tone of their voice, you can't hear the number of vocal fillers that they have, and so they came up with some really fascinating research. And they said digital conversations are fertile ground for deception because people can easily conceal their identity. And their messages can appear more credible.
1: So what do you mean, and I'm sorry to, to stop you there, a digital conversation? Is this a chat room, Skype? What are we talking about here?
0: Yes, all of the above. I think most of it was via text messages, but they were looking at the social media aspect of it, too. And they did a little research, and participants were told to lie in about half of the responses. And the researchers found responses filled with lies took 10% longer to create and were edited more than the truthful messages.
1: Wow, so... If you're seeing that uh, the person's taking a long time to write the message, if they tend to be longer, there's a good chance that there's some deception somewhere in that.
0: Yeah, if they're responding quick, 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 and all of a sudden it takes a little longer, especially for parents of teenagers, that's something to think about. And that's true with face-to-face deception. If people are thinking about it more, they're taking longer to respond, you can see their brain wheels spinning because it takes a lot of mental energy to lie compared to telling the truth. Now, it's also true in digital media. When they take a lot longer to respond, it could, it's not guaranteed, but it could indicate that there is deception.
1: Wow, that's pretty interesting. So they're accessing that creative side of the brain and it's just taking longer because, well, to be very scientific, Kurt, they're just making up a bunch of stuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> they're making it up and it takes more effort and they're more concerned about their word choice and how they say it because it takes a lot more energy to do that. So it's taking a lot longer Just one of the things you can look for in detecting deception.
1: I've read a lot about this topic. In fact, I I just finished a great book by a well-known author, and I won't announce yet, but he did commit to coming on the show. I think we can have him on here soon. But he's written extensively on this, and like I think you were very careful just now to say, not always, because detecting deception can be very difficult without obtaining what we call a baseline. If you don't understand how somebody behaves under normal circumstances, you're just not going to be able to detect any deception. Does that sound right?
0: That's absolutely correct. There's two things that are really important when you go into a negotiation or you're talking to anybody is you find their standard behavior. That's why you're talking about the weather or the sports or other things to see just their standard behavior. Are they making eye contact? Are they talking really slow? How do they stand? Are they folding their arms? And so when you go into a more stressful situation and they start lying, you can see a difference in their standard behavior, number one. And number two, you're always looking for clusters. Just because they take longer to respond doesn't mean they're lying. Just because they can't look at you doesn't mean they're lying. Just because they have more vocal fillers doesn't mean they're lying. But when you start seeing two, three, four, five of those, ding, 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 you have a liar on your hands.
1: And you can therefore say pants on fire, can you not? Yeah.
0: That's the favorite part.
1: (laughs) If there's any reason to learn how to detect deception, it's so you can tell somebody their pants are on fire, for sure.
0: Yeah, it always goes well in a negotiation when the opposite side says, oh, liar, liar, pants on fire. (laughs) (laughs) We need to try that some experiments on that, see how that works out.
1: I've been in negotiations before where I've just thought, you know, I'm just dealing with slightly evolved five-year-olds here. These people are using techniques that you would have used in kindergarten. They just use bigger words.
0: Yeah, when they run out of techniques or their blood leaves their brain because of the emotional side, they revert back to their five year old status. In fact, I saw these two multimillionaires negotiate with each other, and one finally says, Well, yeah, I have more money than you. i like, oh, <laughs> geez, what do we, my dad could beat up your dad. Well,
1: what is this? But, you might as well have said that.
0: <laughs> all right, it was really, I mean, these are educated, wealthy people, but when the blood leaves the brain, the emotion leaves, you don't know what to say next, you feel back into a corner. Human nature. They will strike.
1: What do you do in that case when the blood has left the brain and, and reason has left the building? How do you handle somebody like that?
0: Well, great negotiators and persuaders know that they check their ego at the door, only one person emotional at once, and it shouldn't be them, and they should be able to read the person. See, the blood leaves the brain It's going to you know, kind of the fight or flight. It, it's a, a situation where they're not thinking straight. And it, It's interesting. The face will turn red, meaning the blood's leaving the brain, but if the face ever turns really white... All the blood is left the brain, and it's time to run because they're really not thinking straight. So in a situation like that, variety of things you can do. You can create a common enemy that you guys can work together to maybe make fun of. You can take a break. You can talk about something a little more logical, get the blood back in their brain. Distraction works really well. I remember going to monitor negotiation, and they'd beat me to it. They were there arguing upstairs, so I went upstairs thinking they would see me, didn't see me. So there was a box on the top of the stairs, and so I just kicked it down the stairs. to dunk to dunk to dunk They looked at me, they looked at the stairs, they looked at each other, they looked at me, looked at the stairs. But that was just enough time to get a little more blood back in their brain to realize they're out of control, take a deep breath, let's take a different approach to this negotiation.
1: So they're so focused, they're so enraged, and that fight or flight has kicked in, the blood's now in their extremities, and the sound of a box crashing down the stairs snaps them out of it, so to speak. They take a few deep breaths and physiologically they can return a little bit more to to normal.
0: Exactly. Because if it's escalating and escalating, getting deeper and deeper, that's all they're thinking about. They just need a little distraction, a little blood back in the brain, maybe take a walk, take a break, go get some food, come back later, go to a different point. A lot of things that you can do, but you have to be aware of it because if they just get more and more blood to leave that brain, good luck.
1: And that could be deception as well. When somebody gets enraged, they get defensive. But I've I've also heard, too, that somebody who acts that way might, and we're talking in, I guess, an accusatory way, maybe you're dealing with somebody you think is lying to you. But if they get like that, if they get that mad, a lot of times it might mean they're telling the truth because somebody who's trying to deceive you would be thinking more. They'd be trying to dig out of it. They might be accusing you back, but if they're aggressively defending themselves, they clearly genuinely think that they have done nothing wrong.
0: Yeah, and it depends on the situation. I like the Chinese proverb that states, the man that strikes first admits his ideas have given out. Yeah. (laughs) So a lot of times they're coming after you. It's interesting. Those who are telling the truth play offense. They're just assuming you're going to believe them. But those who are telling lies play defense. They're always double-checking that you're believing them, that you're going down the right path, that they're doing okay, and it's just two different things. If you're telling the truth, why wouldn't they believe you versus it's a lot more detail, they keep repeating to make sure you believe. So we have a combination of both of those emotions, but being aware and understanding regardless they're telling a truth or a lie, we need to take care of that anger before we can move on.
1: You know, my daughter was telling a little bit of a fib the other day. And, of course, we caught her instantly. We can tell when our kids are lying, anybody on the podcast who's a parent, because whose baseline do you know better than your kids? You've seen them since the day they were born. You know exactly when they're full of it and when they're not. In a business atmosphere, you don't have the luxury of getting that well of a baseline. So you had mentioned a few things, Kurt. I'm putting you on the spot here. A few things that people can do, talk about, ask about, to start to establish a baseline on somebody. Can you go into a little bit more detail on that?
0: Sure. I mean, first of all, as a great example with your kids, we know the baseline and they're just astounded. I mean, they get better when they're teenagers, obviously, but when they're young, they're astounded that you know that they're telling a lie because you have (laughs) that baseline. Now, sometimes if you have a coworker, you have more time to get to know them, but sometimes it's the first time you've met somebody It's important to talk about non-stressful things. They're relaxed. They're talking about again. It could be something as simple as the weather, their favorite sports team, the school they went to, where they grew up, where they're from, what they like about the area. If they're new to the area, what they like about the area could be anything. Their favorite restaurant, where they just anything to start up that conversation. That's not stressful. That's not emotional. And you're just looking. Okay, are they? How's their posture? Are they? speaking fast or slow, they using vocal fillers, are they crossing their arms, and looking just for that standard behavior. Then when you get into a more emotional situation or they're getting emotional or angry, you can take a look for some of these clusters that we talked about to see, okay, it's changing. I'm seeing two or three things here. And the key thing here is not to say liar, liar, pants on fire right away. It's fun to say, but if you can get them to think that you're buying in their lies and their deception, then it'll be much easier to see what they're doing because they think you're buying into it versus you're calling them on it. Then it gets more difficult to spot many times.
1: Yeah. If anybody on the podcast has ever been party to litigation, First of all, I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Second, if you've been a a plaintiff, a defendant, or a witness, one thing that I've really noticed, especially during a deposition, and that's where attorneys will bring in witnesses or the defendant or a plaintiff to ask them some questions. They're trying to establish the facts of the case. And you'll notice that the first 15 to 20 minutes of the deposition, is just brain-dead questions. And I think a lot of attorneys are doing it because... They think they have to, but most of them, that's exactly what they're doing. They're establishing a baseline. They're going, if I ask this guy where he was born, where he went to high school, what he does for a living, if I ask him these boring questions for 20 minutes, I'm going to get him really relaxed. He's going to feel comfortable that he's asking, that he's answering these questions, oh, this is easy, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And then I can come out of the gate with the hard stuff, and I can tell where I really need to expose things based on where that baseline changes. I had an attorney, well, he tried to do that to me once. I was a witness in some litigation. And he started asking me these questions like, what's your name? How do you spell it? And I I, I really took him off guard and, and changed the balance of power, which is hard to do when you're the one that's under oath. But I said, look, pal, you subpoenaed me. You sent somebody to my house, you knew where I lived, and you served me papers and dragged me down here by force of law, and you don't know how to spell my name? <laughs> I'm having a hard time believing that. Yeah, Why don't but we get to what we really came here for?
0: It's <laughs> such a ridiculous situation sometimes. And so what you're saying is true, but let me add another element to that. I think another reason they're doing that is so they can charge more. <laughs> Right, if they can ask thirty minutes of stupid questions and then ten minutes of good
1: questions, now they've added thirty minutes to their bill. <laughs> oh. You're so you're so right. It's so oh. they could charge more. And and what would be even worse is if they really didn't know the name of of the person they're doing. How bad would you feel if you're if you're the one paying that attorney to go ask this stuff while they're billing you two hundred bucks an hour? <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, I apologize to the attorneys out there. We have some really bad attorney stories. We need to meet some good attorneys that really know how to persuade and influence because there's so many out there that are terrible at it, mostly because they never learned how to do it.
1: Well, I found this, that where there is a good attorney, there is one very happy person and one very mad person.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That is true. That is true.
1: It doesn't end with people going, wow, we're both really happy that we came here today.
0: (laughs) So true.
1: Yeah. Well, any any other words on detecting deception, Kurt?
0: Let's talk about deception and some things you're looking for. We can become really good at this. The challenge is most people are so concerned about what to say next that they're really not looking for the clues. And we have to realize that anger, lack of skills, threatening you can increase deception. But let's talk about a few things and dispel some misconceptions out there. Everyone's, oh, they didn't look at me, so they're lying. Well, what happens with the eyes... First of all, if you're close enough, you can see the pupils dilate. That is one thing you can look for. You'll see increased blinking. You take any politician that's lying, slow down the video. You can see them blinking two to three times more. But here's the key thing with eye contact. You found their standard behavior. They're going to either look at you more because they've heard the same thing that you have, or they'll decrease. So there'll be an increase or decrease in eye contact. And if you look at their arms and shoulders, they might be crossing their arms more they might be have their shoulders turned away from you. Their shoulders will start to shrug. A lot of times they'll try to put a barrier between you and them. It could be an arm. It could be they're almost taking up less space. If they're sitting in a chair, they're almost kind of put their feet underneath them. You might see their feet wiggling or tapping. So you're looking for that change. The one that people are best controlling are their head, but you might see more of a tilt in their head, touching their face a lot more, their ears, their nose. And one of the reasons that happens is more blood is going to the face sometimes when people get nervous or have anxiety and it itches a little bit. We know with the mouth, they can be biting their lip more, a fake smile. We all know that a real smile, the eyes smile with it, but if it's a fake smile. But you'll also have more of a dry mouth. They're nervous, they'll have that dry mouth. In fact, in some cultures, they would actually put an iron on your tongue to see if you're lying. And if it burned you, you were lying. If it didn't, you were telling the truth. So I'm not sure if you want to try that out or not, but that uh, would be one way. You could uh, see increased perspiration, but again, maybe they're naturally a sweaty person. They might become more mechanical with their movements because they're trying to, oh, am I moving too much? Am I crossing my arms? What about my eye contact? You'll see a more rigid or relaxed body posture. So you're looking for a variety of these things that will be a cluster. It could even be the content, especially with, let's say, a teenager. Where'd you go tonight? We went out, so lack of detail versus they might go for the information overload. Oh, it was about seven ten. We were driving down Elm Avenue and the birds were chirping <laughs> in the air and I saw this dog and it was a cute dog. Do you like dogs? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and that's not their standard behavior. Inappropriate humor would be part of that content too. So you're looking for a variety of things. Even I mentioned earlier, increased vocal fillers like um er uh, you know, you might see them mumbling a lot more. You'll have, They'll have longer pauses, just like the digital deception, because they're thinking about the response. Their mind's up in high gear. You'll have more speech errors. All these things that you'll notice when you're doing this, an increase, decrease in rate. So if you can become really good at this, it makes a huge difference. You'll see an increase of coughing or clearing their throat, uh, repeating the question. You'll even, if we want to talk about the eyes, I've done a lot of research with the eyes. And if you're looking at a right-handed person and they look As you look at them, if they look up and to your left, that's called visual construct, which means they're inventing what happened, and it didn't really happen. So a lot of the times, eye movement is a big indicator of deception.
1: I've heard too many times that they'll cover the face, they'll cover the neck, their legs or feet will point towards the exit. These are all signs that they're soothing themselves or that they they want to leave the room. They don't want to be there. Is there any merit to that?
0: You bet. They're all part of those clusters, taking up less space. Their shoulders or your feet are pointing away from you. They're trying to get away. They're talking about things that you're not talking about. They're changing the subject. They're getting nervous. They're starting to perspire. All could be clusters that you were looking for in detecting deception. Powerful skill.
1: That is a very powerful skill, and those are great points. Thanks for bringing those up. You bet. If the listeners have any comments or want us to elaborate on that because it's such a key topic, Feel free to email us at MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Don't, don't, don't! And I want to change the topic because I hear the sound. Oh, we love that sound. We love the sound. Well, I don't love having to come up with the info for the sound because it's painful. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. It is super painful, and I had one while I was in Las Vegas. I was invited to sit in on a vacation ownership presentation which many people who are listening have done before. We always tell ourselves, yep, I'm just going to go get the free gift, or I'm just going to go listen to Be Polite. Very few of them do it for that. So I decided I was going to go for the free gift. They were offering a $200 airfare voucher. I thought, oh, great, I can always use one of those. I travel a lot. I said, I have 45 minutes tops. And they said, okay, it'll be 45 minutes, not a minute more. And you're going to get your free airfare voucher. And I said, okay, so if I understand correctly, (laughs) because obviously I don't trust these people at all, I am going to go listen to you for 45 minutes. And when we get to minute 45, I get to get up out of my chair and you hand me a $200 airfare voucher. And that's it. Even if I don't buy. Do I understand this correctly? (laughs) Of -hmm. course, Mr. Olson, you understand Mm -hmm. correctly, right? So... I go and I sit through this thing, which the presentation itself, I'll get into another day, but it was horrifying. This lady needs to be canned. She needs to find a profession that she's going to be happier in, and the company needs to find somebody that's actually going to sell something. But I go, and I go to get my airfare voucher, and it turns out it's not a voucher. It's a mail-in rebate for up to $200 in airfare credits. So, Steve is a little bit angry, and you can bet, you can bet for sure that once I book this ticket, if I mail this in and I get $131 back or something, I'm going to get on TripAdvisor and I'm going to let everybody know, hey, that $200 airfare voucher, it's a rebate, you got to spend all the money up front, and it's up to, which up to is one of those uh, weasel words that we like to talk about that people give away if he can use it honorably great but in this instance i felt and you know, i felt pretty used and like they conned me just to get me in there which why am i surprised again i don't know why you're surprised that is
0: definitely a weasel word but the thing is that, that short term compliance but that long term influence is going to go away because you're not going to be the only one posting on tripadvisor
1: yeah yeah was was not happy about that at all i mean when you hear 200 dollar airfare voucher I, I think most people go, oh, I'm going to go book a ticket, and I get 200 off the price. That's not the same as a mail-in rebate for up to $200 after the fact. I will, at a very minimum, do future travelers a favor and let them know at this particular property that, uh, <laughs> hey, don't take the, the voucher. <laughs> it's a con.
0: Yeah, you see a lot of people with that short term, and that's true. Sorry for the timeshare and car dealership <laughs> industry. We've talked about you a lot, but they keep trying to reinvent reinvent but if as so many people feel screwed along the way they're never going to go back no matter what they offer
1: it's true it's true and it's just another example of the audience being more educated more skeptical than ever before you've you've got to take up your persuasion skills up a notch to deal with educated and skeptical people you have to deliver value because it's just not work anymore this old school stuff no wonder these people are having a hard time
0: yeah, it reminds me my my mom was going to get this special present for my daughter. She wanted this bird clock, and every hour it was a different bird, this beautiful sound. And So my mom bought it and sent it for the holidays, and they opened it up. And they, we started listening to it, and it sounded like bugs almost. They weren't birds, these awful sounds every hour. And I look at the packaging, and it had that little red thing in the corner. It said, similar to things seen on TV. And (laughs) because that's where she saw it was on TV, but this was similar to item seen on TV, borrowing that credibility. Yeah, you get burned once, but it's never going to happen again.
1: Oh, talk about your weasel words. So the lesson to our listeners, they're probably thinking, I would never do that ridiculous stuff. Well, who knows? The key is short-term compliance has to be evaluated against long-term results and long-term reputation. The more you can keep your client's perspective and their expectations in line, the more likely you are to have a lifetime customer that pays you out over the lifetime. We talked last time about what was the lifetime value of an Apple customer. And that's because the expectations are kept in line and even many times they're overcome. They go above and beyond those expectations. People who who get those devices, who get Apple products, very rarely leave feeling like they got weaseled. That's just not part of the business plan.
0: Good point. Good point.
1: Guess what? We've got a ninja, too. Oh, hey, man, they get them all today. (laughs) We're going to get them all. Probably a a long episode, but this ninja is a pretty fun one, and we'll try to keep it as quickly as possible because it ties into public speaking. As you know, I was in Las Vegas, and my wife and I were driving down the freeway, and we saw a sign for Jerry Seinfeld, and we thought, oh, Jerry Seinfeld's coming to town. That's that's too bad, we're going to miss that. And then I looked at the bottom, and the date was for that night, and I thought, we're going. Let's go see Jerry. So we go over to the forum, at, or the Coliseum, they call it, at Caesar's Palace, and Jerry knocked our socks off. He's hilarious. I haven't laughed he's, that hard in ten he's years.
0: He's a great comedian. We
1: forgot about that. And he's just so much substance to him. He's a pro at what he does. I've read a lot about how Jerry tests his material. He just He's a wordsmith. I can't say enough good things about him. But Jerry put on a great display of how to handle a heckler.
0: Mm, A heckler.
1: (laughs) A heckler. And we'll talk about what hecklers can mean. But in this case, it was a drunken woman down in the lower bowl of Caesar's Palace yelling something at Jerry during the presentation, or not the presentation, during his bit. And it got to be the point where Jerry had to address it. And he turns and he looks at the lady and he goes, what are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) And she's blabbering out something that's not understandable to the audience. We don't know. And clearly Jerry doesn't know because he goes, wait, what? And you could feel the shift in the air to where the audience was curious about what the lady had to say to all of a sudden they wanted to just tell her to shut up. And at that moment, Jerry, because he has the pure instinct, he's been on stage for thousands of hours, he just looks at her and puts his hands on his hips Like only Jerry Seinfeld can. And he goes, wow, did you just miss a tremendous opportunity? (laughs) (laughs) And then he goes on on this about five minute monologue of pretending to be her talking on the phone to her friend about how she said something to Jerry Seinfeld and how badly it went. And the whole audience was roaring at this lady's expense. Jerry is our persuasion ninja of the week because he handled a heckler. Just fantastically best I've ever seen.
0: Yeah, and that's a old other episode talking about handling the heckler. He did a beautiful job, especially sensing when the audience is on his side. She probably left with her tail between her legs.
1: <laughs> she did. She did. I'm sure that she got laughing as it went on because it was funny. But that's the key to the heckler. We'll We'll do more about this because it's a huge topic in and of itself. But you don't have permission to slam the heckler to take him down. Until the audience gives it to you, because if you do it before, then you're the bad guy.
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. Well, great. Fun episode today, Kurt. Any parting words?
0: You talked about expectations, and that's so important, because when there's unmet expectations, that triggers frustration, which triggers anger. And frustration comes from unmet expectations, and so your role as a persuader is find those expectations, spoken or unspoken fulfill them and exceed them and you have a customer for life
1: bingo well there you have it everybody thanks for those last words kurt and we will catch you on another episode of maximize your influence next week
0: you got it we'll see you next week